welcome to Stories of Scotland. I'm Jenny, a free-range snow angel. And I'm Annie, a slightly frosty historian. So Jenny, what beautiful stories of Scottish heritage are we looking at today? Well, as the winter solstice is upon us, we're going to be looking at some amazing aspects of culture and nature on the theme of long, cold winter nights in the north. From spectacular standing stones all the way to wonderful winter wildlife. I feel frostbite just thinking about it. <laughs> so, on this incredibly chilly winter evening, we're going to be talking about the winter solstice and wonderful Yuletide traditions of Shetland and the marvellous wonders of the Clavicairns. We've just had our first snow this week in Inverness, where we proudly record our little podcast, and in the far distance you can see the snow-topped Ben Wivis glistening in the sunshine right now. It's ever so lovely. So snuggle up with a blanket and a wee dram and join us on an adventure to the far north. So Jenny, what's the importance of the winter solstice? Well, the midwinter solstice is the longest night of the year, where the sun rises late and sits low on the horizon before setting and not returning for almost 16 and a half hours. This year in Inverness, the winter solstice is marked at the setting of the sun on the 22nd of December at 3.33pm, but down in the borders, it's 3.46pm, and up in Thurso, at the very north of the mainland, it's 3.21pm. I never knew you enjoyed speaking like the talking clock, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, we've been outsourced. The job is not what it used to be. And if we travel up further north, off the mainland and across the sea, what about Shetland, Jenny? Ah, of course, we can't forget about Shetland now. Never. It's our beloved, most northernly collection of islands. In Scott, one of the most northern points on the main island, which is about 200 miles north of mainland Scotland, the sunset is at 2.54pm, giving it less than six hours of daylight before the longest night of the year. Okay, so what actually causes the winter solstice that gives Shetland such few daylight hours? Well... It's all to do with our planet sitting a little squinty on its axis and its movement around the sun. The Earth's North Pole doesn't point directly up in space. It's actually about 23.4 degrees slanted away from up, if you count there being an up in space. Technically, there's not one, but I'm painting a beautiful celestial picture here. Just roll with me. Now, we all know the Earth moves around the sun and it takes 365 years to go all the way around, or a year. Um... Now, if the Earth didn't have a tilt, we would spin happily around the sun, receiving the same amount of sunlight and radiation every day, and we wouldn't have seasons. But we have a tilt. So for half the year, we are tilted towards the sun, where it's nice and warm and cosy. But the other half of the year, we're tilted away from the sun. But when we reach 23.4 degrees away from the sun, that is our shortest night of the year, before we start going back around to summer. And so, we experience shortening days and longer nights. Wow, okay. So it's all written in the rotations of this wee rock that we're on. A bit like a cosmic Cayley, one might say. I think that's actually what solstice means in Latin, Annie. Oh, unfortunately not, Jenny. <laughs> so <laughs> Damn, should have paid more attention in school. <laughs> so solstice comes from the Latin solstitium, which translates as the sun stands still. However, that's used more for the summer solstice. 
whereas the winter solstice, the Latin is bruma, which just means the shortest, representing the shortest day of the year. And this word bruma has infiltrated so many languages to have associations with winter, coldness, frost, cold mist. It does make a lot of sense. From the ground, we get a very different perspective of this cosmic Kali than we do from space. In days gone by, when the ancient astrologers were tracking the sun and they measured its progress all across the sky throughout the year, they noticed that twice a year, the midday sun would either reach its highest or lowest point and appear to hover for a few days before slowly moving in the opposite direction once more. And so these were times when the sun literally seemed to stand still in the sky. And from this, we get our solstices in the winter and the summer. And because of this, these moments have been celebrated throughout human history because they signify a time of endings, of changes, and of new beginnings. The winter solstice is a time of long shadows and short days, but it marks the turn of winter and the return of the sun. I think solstice celebrations remind us of the balancing of darkness and light in a very literal sense of the hours of natural light changing and it's this kind of balance that we see in numerous Celtic artworks. Exactly. Solstices mark where we end the journey from one planetary extreme to the other, only to start it all over again. There have been solstice celebrations for thousands of years. Our ancestors knew that this is a very special time of year, and they celebrated it as such. Because of this deep connection to the sun and nature, the winter solstice was a very important holiday, as people depended on the sun returning each year, as we still do now. But they monitored the passing of the seasons and the movement of the sun. Their close study of the sun's patterns over the many generations meant that these people had a very good grasp of seasonal timing and were able to accurately predict the winter solstice. And they knew that the coming months were going to be the coldest and harshest of the year, so in the face of the coming misery, the people would throw large celebrations and gatherings with various tribes and groups of people coming together to celebrate, share and sacrifice to the many gods in an attempt to secure blessings for the coming year's crops. Huge fires would be lit. Many of the cattle would be slaughtered so that they wouldn't have to be fed over the winter. And that meant that there was plenty of meat available for feasting. And on top of this, various beers and wines that they'd been fermenting throughout the year were finally ready to be drunk. You make it sound as though Mother Nature herself was preparing this party. The winter solstice is the perfect time for a huge celebration. It becomes one last hurrah before the deep winter truly sets in. But it wasn't just about having a big old Scottish dish. It was about coming together and remembering the past, celebrating the hope of the coming future and showing respect for Mother Nature. So... I find this really intriguing in the case of Shetland because despite the depth of darkness of winter nights in Shetland, they've developed some really fascinating traditions, both past and present. Ah, so this is somehow linked to the numerous Viking invasions and settlements of the Northern Islands and north coast of Scotland, which have meant many celebrations of hybrid Norse-Scots customs. Yes, Jenny. And <laughs> some of the... <laughs> Pat on the back, Juju. 
double pat in the back. <laughs> but some of these older Shetland winter traditions cover multiple days. I found this marvellous article which delves a wee bit into Norse Shetland solstice traditions. It's from the Shetland Times on Monday 14th of October 1872. I'm going to hand this over to you, Jenny. I warn you, you need to be a pious Shetlander. Customs to the Northmen were heathen with the historical period. Only after the year 1000 was the new faith recognised in Iceland. But long after this time, pagan customs and heathen rites were practised. And in fact, to this very day in these very islands, we celebrate their winter and summer solstices with adulterous ceremonies, which our ancestors brought with them. They are remnants of ancient heathen rite. So are the customs still practised at Johnsmiths, which indeed are evidently and distinctly heathen without disguise. So do the children in some Shetland parishes pass through the fire to ball by leaping over the Beltane bonfire. And we have spoken with old woman, not long did, who within the present 19th century practised on these hills of Shetland, the very rites which old Hebrew prophets denounced 3,000 years ago as gross idol worship. The kneading or the cakes and pouring out obligations to the Queen of Heaven upon hilltops. The early Christian priests, finding it in vain to suppress these heathen festivals, endeavoured to incorporate them into the rituals of the Christian faith. They named the winter solstice Christ's Mass and the summer solstice St John's Mass. And they did it so they could substitute the Christian ceremonies with the heathen ones. We can see that there were concerns in Victorian Shetland about both Jenny's accent <laughs> and the origins of some of their customs. So let's delve into some of these and unpick them. Brilliant. <laughs> So here's some of the really old folk customs of Shetland. These were also recorded in the Victorian period, but are speaking of times that are already history to them. When Hallowmas is past, so Hallowmas is the day after Halloween, people would set themselves onto their winter chores. So firstly, we've got fishing, and in winter, Shetlanders are doing clack fishing. And clack fishing is a safer type of fishing during winter, because it's an inshore fishing, where you can put out a line from a safe marked place, often marked with crosses or stone, and this is called a meath. Mm, okay, and so this was to keep up fish supplies for winter and Yule festivities. And these meaths, the markers that are used for knowing where places are safe for fishing, aligns to fit in with Scottish traditions of using natural markers of stone and wood to guide you during the seasons. We see this in so many things, from the cairns on mountain pathways which help many a lost traveller in the mist, to the solstice traditions of standing stones, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And when the storms were too great for the fishermen to do clack fishing, they would weave beautiful items for domestic use in the houses, made completely from straw. These include cassies. That's a big basket. To toyaks. That's a small basket. To satkuddies. That's an even smaller basket for your salt. And simmoned chairs. That's a human basket. Also known as a chair, Jenny. And whilst the men were weaving, the women would spin wool. And there's stories of people 
both men weaving and women spinning, going to each other's homes to do these jobs collectively. This meant that whilst their hands were working these intricate jobs, making special items for their homes, they were also blathering and weaving intricate stories of the sea, of adventures of the past year, everything from incredible legends to political matters. It was an array of fireside stories whilst making these incredible crafts. And the fishing, weaving and spinning all builds up to Tamasmash's Nicht, or as we now know it, the winter solstice. It comes with some wonderful traditions that blur all of the faiths that were on Shetland over hundreds of years. The day before Tamasmas, you took two straws and laid them in the shape of a cross, then carried a burning peat log throughout the outhouses of the croft. Now, I find this really intriguing because we associate crosses with Christianity, but this kind of peat burning sounds like a more ancient pagan ritual. And also, I find this lovely wee poem that goes with this tradition. To shape or shoe, to bake or brew, to reel a prim or wind a clue, a low soul palty will take you. Okay, so this wee rhyme is a warning. It's saying that if you do any of the chores that it's mentioned, such as baking or brewing or winding a cluing... <laughs> Ah, of course, winding a clue. <laughs> One of my favourites to do on a rainy Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> then a sulpalti will take you away. Now, a sulpalti is a water sprite or water demon, which is very similar to Kelpie. It's a god that commands all of the waters and takes the shape of a beautiful stallion, enticing you to ride him. But as soon as you sit on the back of this great horse... He charges into the deepest depth of the North Sea, immediately drowning his rider. Oh no. Ah, so do you know the difference between a Kelpie and a Sulpelti, Annie? Well, the myths and legends seemed very similar to me. While very similar, the Sulpelti has an extra ability. It can use its tail as a propeller. Okay, that's really not what I was expecting. Yeah, it's the Kelpie upgrade. The deluxe version. You know, get your Kelpie with a propeller. Ye oldie fashioned wind turbine. Yeah. But uh, these myths, I guess, they all compound the feeling that the solstice is a time for reflection and to remember your roots and old stories. Yes, take advantage of the long winter nights for crafts, making things and creativity. Be inspired by Shetland. And give yourself time in the short winter days to relax. And always beware the supalties and their spinning tails. Ah, we spin tails. <laughs> so there was a lot more to the winter solstice than lighting fires and avoiding solpalties. This was a deeply spiritual and powerful time for many ancient generations of our ancestors. We know this because they've left behind some astounding marks on the landscape that can be found all across Scotland. Yes, burial cairns are scattered throughout the land. And while the strange solstice traditions we just mentioned tell us a lot about our ancestors, they have been passed down over time, evolving and changing as they go. 
but burial cairns have remained the same for thousands of years, giving us a direct snapshot into the past ways of our pagan forebearers. And we have our very own portal into the past in our back garden. About 20 minutes east of Inverness, there are some marvellous and breathtaking burial cairns. Yes, my absolute favourite of the Scottish cairns, those of the Clava cairns. Ah, the Clava cairns of Outlander fame. Yeah. So these cairns are the very ones that inspired the fictitious Craigna Dunstone that transports Claire in Outlander back in time. A storyline that doesn't seem outlandish at all once you've visited the cairns yourself. Truly, they are magical. And they're similar to the Outlander cairns because they stand in the shadow of Inverness, yet very different aesthetically because the Outlander stones are more traditional standing stones, similar to the Ring of Brodger, whereas the Clavicairns are intricate laboured stone mounds. These cairns have been very special for much longer than they've been on the old telly box. They consist of three Bronze Age cairns, each with a standing stone circle surrounding them. They were constructed over 4,000 years ago to entomb the bodies of important community leaders. What's so astounding about these cairns, and a few others over Scotland, is that they are all aligned with the sunset on the shortest day of the year, the winter solstice. And archaeologists have found signs of festivities, definitely something a bit ritualistic around the cairns. So we know that these weren't just a place to put a dead body. They were also important social areas. We don't know what they were doing socially, though. (laughs) And a lot of what happened there remains a mystery. A good way to think about it is if you consider churches these days. While they have many bodies buried inside them, they aren't considered just tombs. They're much more places of spirituality and worship. I like like that comparison. Mm. And this kind of ties into the importance of the Clavicairns being deliberately aligned with the setting of the sun on the shortest day of the year. Just imagine it. The sky is clear and the light is low. Families have travelled from all across the north of Scotland to meet at the Cairn. They know the shortest day of the year is approaching, and thus they will be there gathering at the stones. There are fires burning all around the Cairns, people laughing, reconvening, Shaving the stories of the last year, everyone grows quiet and turns to face the setting sun to the west. As it lowers in a sky, clear warm light illuminates the air around them. They then turn again in unison and watch as rays of light flow uninterrupted past them, directly into the maw of each cairn's passageway, all the way to the central chamber where the back walls are illuminated for a few of the most important minutes of the year. It's truly spectacular. But we don't know that this happened. Perhaps people gathered here solemnly to the sound of a low drumbeat. But but slowly, as the sun set gets louder and louder and faster and faster. The people are watching the sun set and they're dancing, they're moving with it as well. And finally, slowly, as it lowers down to enter the chambered cairn's mouths, 
the people, it's, 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 it's uproar, the drums are going, people are chanting and shouting, and finally, finally, as the sun hits them directly, a child is sacrificed. Oh, Jenny, they have <laughs> not sacrificed children here. We don't know that. It's super close to the, the, the Kousi Caves where lots of children were sacrificed. <sighs> Okay, maybe just like their best cow. Either way, it could have been a very quiet and solemn night, or it could have been a wonderful big party where they killed cows. Or something in between, <laughs> perhaps. Honestly, historians have absolutely no consensus on what our ancestors would have practiced at these cairns. No matter what, it never fails to amaze me the amount of effort, planning and dedication that went into the construction of these Scottish wonders. It tells us of the deep significance of the winter sun to these people, and also the importance of the spirits of the dead. The people gathering were enthralled in a sacred ceremony that we will never fully understand. Their ancestors weren't buried and forgotten, but buried and remembered. Every year the spirits were brought back to life by this channel of energy. The setting sun acknowledging their physical death and the lengthening days their spiritual rebirth. Yes, these were not places for souls to die but places for souls to live. I love it so much. I work just next to these cairns and they're my absolute favourite place to go up here. I like to stop by on my way home on the equinoxes and solstices and try to absorb some of these ancient energies. And although I have yet to witness a sunset there because of awful weather, um, I, the energy is still the same no matter what's falling out of the sky. Um, it's so peaceful and calm and even when there are tourists about, they too are put under the trance of an age gone by. The energies of the past do not cease to hold all who enter the cairns today in awe. Beautifully said, Jenny. Thank you so much for listening to our Winter Solstice episode. We hope that wherever you are, you're able to get out and experience the Winter Solstice. And have a toast to the winter sun as it sets, ready for a new year to begin. I'll raise a dram to that. Slanjiva. Slanjiva. Slanjiva.